the, the stuff on these guys hasn't changed or has gotten slightly worse, but the stuff across the league has gotten so much better. Biggio, or Biggie, depending, can't you see? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes your hitting just hypnotizes me. It's. Uh, I tweeted this in response to that. Like, it's both mind-boggling and totally expected. <laughs> and welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number one hundred and ninety-nine, where we dare not stretch like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first base. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the wonderful Joshua Hausam. Josh, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How about you? I'm good. Uh, this is the most baseball I've watched in one week in, it feels like, like two and a half years. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. wild. <laughs> Just you know, wild. me too. Like, you know, last year there were games on, but I this is like the fourth or fifth full game I've watched. I'm, it's the home opener when while we're recording this. I think I missed one of the Rangers games and one of the Yankees games or something like that. It's crazy. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, it's been good baseball. So uh, we'll go over the three and three start here, and uh, hopefully we don't have a result completely by <laughs> by the time that we finish recording. Otherwise, we've got a little long. Um, uh, two and one versus the Yankees, which was good. One and two versus Texas, which was not nearly as impressive. But um, hey, we'll, we'll run down the details. Hyunjin Rio has already had two starts. Steven Matz, um, how he did on his his first outing, uh, you know, in his we hope return to form. Uh, Ross Stripling, Tanner Roark, and what they're not doing. Um, and then we have uh, a couple guys, most notably, I think, Vlad Jr. and Marcus Semien uh, really hitting the way we might hope. Um, Julian Merriweather is anchoring the bullpen, which I don't think we exactly saw that, but it was it was a sight to behold. George Springer is apparently made of glass. Nate Pearson hopefully is not as he gets back on a mound. Um, we have your questions. Uh, we have an inside... We have a, a do-over for um we have we have some inside information on a do-over no we don't have any inside anything for sure buck, don't for buck martinez uh yeah and that ought to bring us around for a, a eventful i think you could hardly argue it was not an eventful first week for the blue jays uh yeah. let us begin with hyunjin ryu who threw the first pitch of the season for the blue jays and i think impressed you quite a bit in his first start and i think um despite picking up a no decision there and then and then a loss in his second start he's doing precisely what the blue jays need him to do yeah i mean we obviously saw how good ryu can be last year and this year i think we're seeing how great ryu can be i mean last year he was everything he did with his pitch mix up and down with speeds in and out throwing five different pitches was hyunjin ryu the way that he was advertised but his velocity was down a little bit which it happened to a lot of guys with the weird ramp up to the, you know, after the shutdown. This year he's come right back out throwing 91, 92, touching 93 even on a pitch. And when he's doing that, it just makes his stuff play up so much more. And you saw it. There was one sequence I highlighted on Twitter where Aaron Judge just had no chance. <laughs> I, the way that the Ryu pitched him. I watched that at bat live and I was like, that just made him look dumb. Like no major league hitter actually deserves to look that dumb, but he looked completely clueless on, uh, it looked to me like he was swinging, literally started his swing after he heard the ball hit the glove. I mean, the video kind of supports <laughs> that. 
I, I've never seen a pit hitter be that late on a 91 mile an hour fastball in my life. And we had Marco, Marco Estrada on this team for two years. It was crazy. It was like some funky optical illusion that he pulled on Judge. I did feel bad for Judge. I mean, you can just you can just strike him out with making him out without making him look that ridiculous. I did notice now on on the stadium display, Ryu's velocity was down to the 88, 89 mile an hour in Texas as I was watching. Now maybe I missed something. Yeah, he but he was also back up, and the Statcast numbers were a little more favorable. All right. Um, the other thing, though, was by the end of that Texas start, Ryu was getting through the seventh inning. So to have a pitcher who did not tax the bullpen, even in a start that did, well, you know, wasn't going perfectly because Blue Jays couldn't score any bloody runs for him, um, is exactly what you need that number one starter to do. Yeah, and uh, again, something we didn't see any of last year. I mean, they, the first time that a pitcher went into the seventh <laughs> inning was Ryu against the Yankees, and that was the last home stand of the season. <laughs> yeah. It so was brutal. Yeah. So it was nice to see him complete seven in his second time out. The first one, he could have gone deeper, but you know, it was the way the Yankees lineup is and the situations, it made sense to make a pitch and change when they did. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't expect him to do seven, eight, nine innings, you know, uh, on the regular, but uh, to have that average up there is absolutely what you need. Um, and, uh, and then, Unfortunately, after all that fun and and all of that hard work, uh, we got to see Ross Stripling throw 3.1 innings of what the heck are you doing out there, Ross? Yeah, I mean, he didn't actually give up a ton of runs in that. What the heck are you doing? Because he got saved by the bullpen. But the thing with Ross Stripling is that he's a guy who has mediocre stuff. But. When he's got his curveball working, he's still a very effective pitcher. The problem is that in his first two starts, we're, I mean, only in the third inning of his second one, as I'm saying this, but he has not been able to throw his curveball down and out of the zone. So even when he gets the two strikes on guys, he's leaving it up and getting hurt. And when he doesn't have his curveball, he's just not a good pitcher. Yeah. Uh, now, he got bailed out. Was it um, Thomas Hatch who bailed him out? No, Hatch is injured. It was... Trent Thornton? Thornton, I think. Yeah, I think they brought I think they brought Trent Thornton. No, Thornton came in after Zoic. I think it was uh it was probably Tyler Chatwood who came in after came right. in for him. Sorry, there are a lot of pitchers on this team. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that when we did our twenty six and fifty two, but it just astonishes me going back, you know, to my my childhood, how many more pitchers there seem to be just lurking around. Um, and I'll get yeah. to that when we start talking about Tanner Roark. Um, so, yeah, Stripling was not great. But then Mats came right back out. And I, I don't know. Steven Mats looks like a a, a renewed man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his fastball was tremendous. He he threw two fastballs the entire game. They were under 94 miles an hour. And one of them was 93.9. <laughs> and he was up in the he t- he topped at 96 and a half or something like that and you know Stephen Matz has never had a particularly good breaking ball and he still doesn't like even in that game he didn't throw a ton of good curveballs or that cutter thing that he's throwing but his fastball changeup combination was just deadly and when he's locating his fastball backing it up with that changeup he doesn't really need swing and miss stuff with the other two just keeping them there in the back pocket to keep guys off balance and like he just made the rangers look foolish yeah um and 
And then when we found out the next game that the Rangers actually could hit, I, I think that was even more impressive for me anyway. <laughs> it was like, oh, these guys are just chumps. They're in a rebuild. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> that was just, uh, yeah, um, quality stuff. So I think overall the Blue Jays are, are not – you know, where they want to be with the starting rotation. Obviously they're not the right names even in the starting rotation. Um, but with, with the exception of, of, uh, Stripling and Roark, I think you can see how this is going to line up. However, Tanner Roark, I know it's a small sample size, but he appears to be a major problem. <laughs> well, I mean, he's good if you've got the opposing players on your fantasy team. It's it's the first time through the order penalty. It's a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so in that game, his defense did really let him down to the sen- in the sense that, like, both times that Nate Lowe hit two run homers off him, the inning should have already been over. Uh, Bichette screwed up a double play, and uh, I think Biggio missed a ground ball. And doesn't matter. He gave up three home runs in three innings. And that, you just you can't do that in the major leagues and be a successful pitcher. No. And if you looked at everything that led up to those home runs that was on, you know, his responsibility, he was not locating anything like not locating the fastball, not spotting the corners with any of his other pitches uh, and then falling behind repeatedly, walking guys and eventually serving up meatballs. And as you pointed out many times, there is nothing about Tanner Roark's stuff that allows him to um, just blow something by somebody to get ahead or to get back into the count. Like it, what happens is exactly what happened with Lowe. And there's something that I think that sort of goes unsaid about guys like Roark and to a degree Stripling. Well, Stripling doesn't have his curveball at least because that's his best pitch. But the, the stuff on these guys hasn't changed or has gotten slightly worse, but the stuff across the league has gotten so much better over the last few years. Guys are throwing so hard that the relative stuff of a guy like Tanner Rourke is worse and batters are just teeing off on it because it looks like batting practice to them. Yeah, and I totally buy that. I, I buy that they were spitting on stuff that, again, Hyunjin Ryu comes in and, and throws uh, not hard. But when he throws not hard, I, he parks multiple pitches right on the edge of the plate. And he rarely, rarely misses anywhere in that middle third because he has excellent. And I know this is the guy we're paying the most money, so he should be doing this. But he has excellent, excellent command. And then you flip over to Tanner Roark and it's like, oh, they, these hitters are literally dismissing these pitches halfway to the plate because he's not even close. And when he misses, he might just miss right in the middle. Yeah, so the the better comp for Tanner Rourke in terms of stuff would probably be Mark Burley at least by the time he was a Blue Jay. Because, I mean, Hyunjin Ryu has one of the best changeups in all of baseball. So he has a plus-plus yeah. pitch. Burley didn't, and Rourke doesn't. But Burley had the kind of command that you're talking about that allowed him to navigate a major league lineup. And, you know, Rourke may have had it at one point in his career. But, again, with the relative stuff changes that have happened, he just needs to be better if he wants to succeed. Yeah. Okay, and he might so, not even get another chance when they announced the rotation going forward. He was like they they did not announce a starter for the fourth game of this Angel series. And the word is is it Robbie Ray might be healed up enough? Yeah, so he threw a sixty-seven, I think was the number of pitch bullpen during Ryu's start. Obviously not in Texas, and 
So technically, that would line him up for the first game of the Yankees series. I think that's probably more likely. I think Work will get one more turn, and then Ray will start game one of the Yankees series to push Ryu back a day because he does do well when he gets that occasional extra day of rest. Um, and as I said, there are many, many pitchers. Tommy Malone showed up in the third, fourth inning of that Texas game, and I was like, oh, hi, I think I remember <laughs> <laughs> And then probably did, I mean, not great, but still better than Roark did. It was like, oh, my God. Uh, it's just random, <laughs> random flashback pitcher. Okay, sure. Tony Malone is like watching Jamie Moyer. I mean, his fastball is 85. Yeah, and yet somehow still more effective than the guy who started the game. But anyway, let's he, move to the hitting. Yep. Or you, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would like to start with, well, do you want to start with Marcus Semien because he leads off for no other reason? No. No? You want to start with Vlad Guerrero Jr.? We have to start with Vlad. It it is a sight to behold, a Vlad Guerrero Jr. that pitchers are genuinely scared of. Uh, they, I, you, there's nothing you can say that's like not just glowing about the way that Vlad <laughs> is hitting this year. I mean, he's already got two home runs. He's hitting three fifty four eighty seven hundred. His launch angle went from an average of four degrees last year to over eighteen so far this year. And with how hard and, he hits the ball, he does not need to be Mr. Loft to get the ball out of the ballpark, as we pointed out various times. Yeah, like 18 degrees is perfect. There's a hard line drive. And that's exactly what the home run he hit today was. It was just a blazing liner that went over the center field fence because he hit it 111 miles an hour. And he's had five balls over 110 miles an hour this season already. And he only had nine of those all of last year. So even just on the top end velocity because he's getting those line drives as opposed to beating some into the ground he's hitting it harder which uh, like doesn't what, even sound possible but he's doing what, it <laughs> one of those was off of garrett cole at 115.1 miles per hour in the open on opening day and at the time was the hardest ball ever hit off of garrett cole it was a single but still I think he got around on it uh yeah, yeah amazing um and although I would I would say it's obvious he is learning first base, uh, his commitment to bail his teammates out with his glove is wonderful. <laughs> he made a tremendous play in this game, uh, leaping catch to like the the freeze frame of him. It looks like the Jumpman logo. But, um, <laughs> He's been really solid over there. He's had a couple of plays where he's stretched too far and come off the base. He's going to learn not to do that, but he's been really good at picking the ball. He's moving well. He made a great play on a bunt where he hosed a guy at third base. He looks really good over there. Um, he also um, had had a problem trying to lead his pitcher when he when, when they were crossing over and he was trying to get the runner at first. Does he feel that like a swinging bunt? Um, and again, that's that's like okay, well, that's infield practice tomorrow. That's one you're gonna have to do fifty times, um, but other than that, I really don't see a problem with him over there. I think uh, I think his teammates really trust that he's gonna dig that ball out or go up and get it if he needs to. Yeah, it's like when uh, when Encarnacion moved over. You know, it's like there were the occasional growing pains, but it's like you know what, this guy looks like he could be a good player there, as opposed to just we need to stick him somewhere. Yeah which is perfect. Um, so he's tearing the cover off the ball more than anybody else on this team. 
Um, he's doing it consistently day in, day out, and he's slotting in well at uh, at first base. What more could you ask for this year from Vlad Guerrero Jr.? I don't think you could. <laughs> Just keep nope. it up, Vlad. Just keep it up. Um, I do want to talk about Marcus Semien, though. I'm impressed. <laughs> he... He appears to be the guy with the power to hit like 30 bombs this year if he keeps this up. He is gigantic home run. It's like, you look at Marcus Simon, it's like, how do you hit the ball that far? <laughs> it's, it's the old Jose Bautista. It's all in the leverage somewhere. There's there's an angle or something that's going on. But yeah, no doubters. And, um, and he's spelled Bichette at short when they were uh, DHing him the other day. Um, uh, he made a nice play in the very was it first game or second game at Yankee Stadium. Make it made that diving play. Um, yeah, so he seems to have fit in pretty good. I, I I don't know. Is he? Is I know his OPS is around eight fifty nine hundred somewhere in that range. But is he? Has he walked yet? Yeah, he's he's got two walks and he's stolen two bases as well. And we're, we're seeing some of the good and the bad of Simeon. I mean, he still strikes out. A decent amount. He's faced, he struck out on six pitches twice in this game. <laughs> Two times on a total of six pitches. Um, that's something he'll have to clean up a little bit. But, I mean, he's he's got a good hitter. And, and that kind of power. And he does take walks and works account. It's a really useful thing to have. Especially when you combine it with the defense you were talking about. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's hard for me in this league to understand what a, a strikeout problem is anymore. That's just me. Because... <laughs> yeah. Everybody strikes out, except for like Mike Trout and three other people. Mike Trout even strikes out a ton. So, <laughs> this is... yeah, it's yeah. it's just it's a crazy shift that's happened. Even in the, like it is five year period where the home runs have gone up, the strikeouts have gone up, and who knows what happens next. Um, but yeah, I've been impressed with Marcus Semien. I don't know that anyone else like the Jays have had trouble Gritchard. score. Gritchard, yes, sorry, Gritchard. Right out of the gate is like, hey man, no George Springer's taking the bat out of my hands. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got a three eighty one batting average, four fifty eight on base, and five seventy one slugging to this point. Again, halfway through the Angels game, and he's hitting the ball the other way a lot. Yeah, he does not look pull happy at all. Yeah, now we've seen this from Randall Grichuk before, <laughs> of course. But look, if you're going to pick the two to three weeks where Randall Grichuk looks otherworldly. When George Springer yeah. is on the DL is the time I need that to happen. Hundred <laughs> percent. And they, we talked about this. I think, uh, I think it was last year when when Bridget was going off. It's like if he can go off for like a month while some while Teoscar was hurt or whatever. It's just like great. Like that's when you need it. You need it when the other guys aren't there. Yeah, a hundred percent. But yeah, it, dominant um, approach and incredible results in the in the short going here. So that's super cool. Um, this bullpen. This bullpen's been way more impressive than the starting rotation. I'll tell you that. Did I, we? I mean, so, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was <laughs> going to say, did we have Julian Merriweather as the de facto closer coming out of the gate, though? I don't think, think we, he's the closer. No? He has two saves. There's only been two saves, <laughs> but I don't think he's the closer. Because in the first one, Romano pitched the ninth. Merriweather got the save in the 10th inning. And in the second one, Romano came in to face LeMahieu, Judge, and Hicks. Well, yes, that was that's smart baseball. <laughs> yeah, and then Merriweather faced. Uh, I think it was not those guys. <laughs> <laughs> the the he not faced as, Torres, not as hard. Uh, 
Jay Bruce and Gary Sanchez. I mean, there's a very big difference in the quality of those bats. I still think that, like, all things being equal, Romano is the closer. But he's the guy who's going to pitch in the highest leverage spot if that pops up earlier in the game. Which is fair. It's fair. Nevertheless. But then again, Julian Merriweather has struck out five of the six batters he's faced, and he's throwing 100 miles an hour. (laughs) And almost had an immaculate inning in his first appearance of the season. Yeah, eight straight strikes to start it, and then he bounced a a slider like five feet in front of the plate. He was trying for that strikeout. (laughs) (laughs) Trying trying to go home with the... uh... The immaculate inning. Yeah, so that that Romano Merriweather tandem, however it lines up, I think uh you know, stay healthy, boys, because it's gonna mess a whole lot of pitchers uh, or a whole lot of batters up, regardless of where they are in the league. But there haven't other than maybe Rafael Dolis not uh not exceeding any expectations, I, I haven't seen anyone in the bullpen um flame out. Have you? No, I mean Chatwood and Barucky, Chadwick and Barucky and Chatwood, Barucky and Mesa have all been great every time they've gone out there. Chatwood, especially, he's had to come in a couple times with runners on base and gotten out of jams. And then Phelps had like a bit of a shaky outing, but he's also pitching very well. I mean, we talked about it on our. You said that you referenced the twenty six and fifty two pod. We, we're listing down these relievers like this guy's good, this guy's good, this guy's good, this guy. <laughs> And they've yeah. all looked good. I mean, that, that's the encouragement. Except for again, Delise, who looks like he's a little off. Uh, he's you know, has, hasn't had his splitter yet. But when he finds it, it was like last year, right? He was terrible the first few times out, and then he found it, and he was awesome. Yeah, and and I mean the the Jays brought him in in a a lower leverage game to try and let him find it the other in Texas the other day when they'd actually worked up themselves up to a lead. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the week that was. I think that that covers that. Now, now the bad news, I guess, is George Springer. As I said, I think in the opening, is made of glass. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he uh, he suffered. He was about. He was ready to come back from his oblique injury, oblique. which was like incredibly fast, and then he suffered a quad strain while he was running the bases <laughs> he's gonna be out for another probably at, at least through the home stand so he's not gonna play against the yankees in the next series yeah i don't know what else to say other than stuff happens but it would it would be nice to see george springer in a blue jays uniform but it, it's not it's not a problem right now because of you know randall grichuk and teoscar hernandez um doing just fine on their own thank you very much uh I'm sure Lourdes Gurriel Jr. could be having a better time as he struck out on three pitches, three sliders in a row that I just watched. But, you know, uh, yeah, that's just unfortunate. Now, the other big name that is out, we already mentioned Robbie Ray, but Nate Pearson. Because we could use a Nate Pearson in the starting rotation throwing 100 miles an hour with some vicious other stuff to back it up. Uh, he is, you told me, starting over from his the beginning of spring training now. That was the quote that came out today and kind of makes sense. Like he threw off, he threw a bullpen. So he's obviously healthy enough to be pitching, but he got injured after his first inning in in the spring training. So he's not remotely stretched out. So he has to go through that entire process over again, which is why I still don't think there's any chance we see him until the end of April. Yeah. Unless they like this, you know, the rotation is just in dire straits and they're like, we don't care if you're not ready to throw seven innings, go out there and throw four and build up in the major leagues. But 
I, do, I still think it's at least two, three weeks away for Pearson. I still see comments about how Pearson and Romano and, and um, Merriweather at the back of the bullpen. And, and I'm always like, would you please stop, people? Stop putting Nate Pearson in the bullpen. I don't get it. <laughs> it's like, it's one thing if it's like when Aaron Sanchez, when it was when people wanted him in the bullpen, it was, well, first off, they didn't want him in the bullpen. Only They only wanted him in the bullpen because he dominated in the bullpen. But he only had two pitches, fastball and a curveball. And he didn't get a lot of swings and misses on his fastball. So you could at least somewhat see the argument. Obviously, he showed he could pitch fine as a starter when he was healthy. But Pearson has three plus pitches and another good one. Like, <laughs> you don't put that guy in the bullpen unless you have to. Yeah, especially not at this point in the season. What What? When you are short on starters. And that's the other reason Merriweather's in the bullpen, by the way. They had to because he just could not stay healthy and it was all his arm. That's not what's happening with Nate Pearson. He just had a bunch of random different injuries. If he was having a bunch of arm injuries, like Barucki, for example, he'd be in the bullpen. But he hasn't. Uh, So, yeah, please stop, people, uh, if you're one of those people. Any other injury updates? I don't see anything on the list here. No, I don't think so. All right. So that said, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with your questiones for us, the all-seeing eye of uh, artificial turf horse. And we are back. And I mean, the most important thing I think we do when we come back normally after this break is we get your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? I've decided to go in cold. It's pretty bold, right? Want me to read the first one? Yes. (laughs) Oh my god, Mike Trout just hit one about 400,000 feet off of Ross Stripling. Okay, um... Was Shohei Otani on base when he did it? No, he's Otani struck out. Thankfully. So anyway, I, I, anyway yeah, back cool. back to the <laughs> podcast. <Yeah. laughs> so this is from Marks Burley at Trillium Opania. Question for the next pod, because he asked this earlier in the week. What should we make of Merriweather? A possibly elite reliever who can hit the high 90s in short stretches out of the pen paired with a demonic changeup? Or someone who should be given every opportunity to be deployed as a starter or to deploy all that as a starter? Wow, you were you were just alluding to that, I think, is that his arm injuries have precluded using him as a starter. So I think um, having another elite reliever at this point, knowing the risks of putting Merriweather through the paces of, of long outings, seem to be much lower in the bullpen. So I'll take a guy who can hit 99, maybe 100 miles an hour when he gets loose in the summer. Yeah, I mean, he's throwing 100 now so um yeah i just i don't i don't think he like he just use him as a two-inning guy like throw 100 innings out of the bullpen like this year you can try if he stays healthy through that this year you can try again next year but for this year he should be reliever uh ewan ross at mentalk asks requisite lineup construction question biggio or biggie depending can't you see? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes your hitting just hypnotizes me. Uh, hitting two seems no good. How would you build the lineup until Springer gets back? I would just move. I would, I would put 
Bichette two, Vlad three, Teoscar four, Florida's five, Biggio six. Everyone else stays where they are. You you wouldn't take advantage of Grichik's um, superlative skills as they stand currently. No, I like him down there, and then like, Biggio can get on base ahead of Grichik, and Grichik can drive him in. But I I I just want at the top of the order, especially in the two hole, I want someone who can do more than take a walk. Fair uh, it's just it's just not ideal when there's runners on base to have a guy who doesn't have actually the great hitting ability to make that guy advance more than a base at a time. Sure. Uh, minor league working group member at minor underscore leaguer asks, will Tanner Roark and George Springer ever be on the active roster together at the same time? I'm going to answer that. I'm going to say, I hope not. And that's, <laughs> that's not because I want George Springer to be, uh, to be on the IL any longer than he has to. Let me just, let me just say that. Yeah. Um, I think he will, <laughs> but I'm not confident in it. If he if he goes out and just gets torched by the Angels on Sunday, I think he's done. What what can Anthony K not give you uh, that that Tanner Roark is giving you? I think maybe is well, part of the well, question. I mean, it is, and it, but right now it's not because the literally the only guy they have if someone gets hurt again is K yeah. <laughs> they don't have any other guys they can trust to start. So you can't really cut Rourke until someone else is healthy because if someone else gets hurt, you're screwed. But all intents and purposes, it looks like Robbie Ray is going to be healthy soon. Yep. Pardon me. Uh, L at Ellie Ellie Hart. Have the first two series made you believers in the MVP version of Marcus Simeon or were you believers already? That's for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think he's that. the The season he had in 2019 was crazy. I don't, I don't think he's going to be that good. Well, also, he's not playing shortstop anymore, which drove his war totals up. But uh, it's not like I said war total, like a, it's like a Pokemon. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's going to be somewhere between his normal season and that, with the power being real. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm kind of in the same camp. I would never bet on a guy repeating his career year. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think there is, there's those numbers in there. It'd be great if there were, but I think a split the difference season would be fantastic because he's always been a league average hitter at shortstop. It's not that hard to be one, you know, with his profile at second base, if he was slightly better. Cool. Uh, Kevin at Kevin chase four, the Jays clearly want Rowdy to be a regular contributor as part of the offense. How much of an opportunity does he get with such a deep lineup? And do you think he will have a positive impact this year? Do you want to take it? I think if Randall Grichuk does not turn into a pumpkin, Rowdy Tellez is going to have a problem. Well, I mean, Rowdy is 0 for 16 with six strikeouts and one walk. Oh, no, it wasn't even a walk. He was hit by a pitch. So, I mean, they said in the spring, it's like these guys are playing, fighting for their playing time, and one guy's winning that fight pretty handily right now. <laughs> yeah. I think push it's good because I, I think you can you can shuffle things around and get someone else to play some first base on the days where uh, Vladdy needs to spell at DH much it, like Rowdy just does not have enough value if he's not hitting right now to stay on this team. Yep. 
All right, Matt Thomas. How many more questions are there when when there's actual games to talk about? It's amazing. Uh, yeah. At Thomas Matt C asks everyone asking questions about the lineup and guys struggling. How about some positivity? What have you enjoyed the most the first week of the season, whether a player or a game, etc.? You go first. Um. Wow, there, there's been a lot that I've enjoyed actually. I, I enjoyed that uh, that play by um, Semyon at second. Um, I enjoyed that the strikeout specifically that we talked about um, with Judge. Um, but I, I just, I generally enjoy the kind of stress and release of watching things, you know, the bases get loaded and, uh, you know, the pitcher falling behind and then something happens. Um, I've kind of missed that part of baseball, that, that not knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah, that is cool. I'll I'll go the player side, Vlad and Merriweather, just seeing those guys come out doing what they're doing has just been just so much fun to watch yeah um okay minor league group working member working group anyway minor leaguer asks again what do you call that kind of dive made by Gritchick? one that was only necessary due to a previous judgment error so it's not a tv dive what, what is it uh it's an impressively mediocre play <laughs> a compensatory dive i think that's what i call it yeah, it's like, yeah, there you go. Compensatory <laughs> dive, I like that. Uh, <laughs> the playing question was a fly ball in the center where Gritchuk started backwards and then had to run in and make a diving catch. So he misread it and then made a great catch. So a compensatory dive, I like that. Uh, I try. I really do try. Um, then we have uh, Trillium Opeña asks again, do you happen to have Alec Manoa's phone number? Oh, he's obviously tweeting during the Ross Stripling start. We do not have Alec Manoa's phone number, nor his uh, his Instagram or anything else. Uh, more seriously, Twitter. though. <laughs> yeah, we're just tw- trying to tweet at him. More seriously, is the first week. I think you need Shapiro's Twitter, don't you, to make this happen? Yes. Uh, we forgot to mention his contract extension, didn't we? Uh, we mentioned Shapiro's, but Atkins was the one who just mm. got it. Sorry, those two guys are just like a two-headed monster to me. <laughs> showed up at the same time, they give press conferences uh, sequentially, and they never disagree. Uh, more seriously, though, uh, Trilly Mopena asks, has the first week changed what you think will or should happen when Springer gets back? Grichuk to right, Teoscar to DH, Rowdy much less playing time? Yes. Um, <laughs> I thought it'd be more of a platoon between Rowdy and Grichuk when... With Grichuk also spelling the other outfielders every now and then for a day, so he'd play more than half the time. But, I mean, if Rowdy doesn't figure something out, he's going to be in the minors. Yeah, such such as it is. And again, I I know it would be nice for Rowdy to have had a real change last year, but I really didn't put much stake in anything that happened last year. I kind of figured he was just going to Rowdy-ish himself back to where he always was, so... That's unfortunate, but not entirely unexpected. Uh, yeah, and that concludes, unless I haven't refreshed a in, in-game question again, which is a possibility. Nope, that's it. No, that's it. Uh, I think that takes us back to, uh, you know, the do-over. All right, what would I do different? Well, while I've never actually made a mistake, there have been a few, let's call them, stananks. That could but- be worthy of a do-over. 
let's say, for example, this 30-second rant from Buck about the problem with getting hit when someone's throwing inside. Year in and year out, hitters turn into this ball as opposed to hitters in my generation used to turn their back and protect their hands because we were used to pitchers throwing at you. So pitchers would throw at you on a regular basis, so you had to learn how to get out of the way by tucking your shoulder and taking the ball on the back of your shoulder. You're least likely to have an injury in that area. But in this day and age, these young hitters have never been thrown at, so everything is committed to their swing, and they expose their hands to that thrown ball. These young hitters have never been thrown at, Josh. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you you just want to go up one side of this and down the other, so feel free. Uh, yeah. Um, so this was in response to Vlad getting hit in the hand when he was coming in. The pitch was a 95-mile-an-hour fastball diving into his hands. In Buck's day, if you threw 90, you were throwing gas. <laughs> In modern days, guys are throwing 100, 101, 102. If you want to even hit the ball, you have to get started early. You can't just wait and swing or you will miss every single pitch. And then just this, the asinine, oh, yeah, these guys are getting hit because they're not getting thrown at. What the hell is that? Like, why would you say that on the air? So I'm not even sure what he's advocating there for. Is he advocating for more pitchers to throw at hitters? Was that the Im implication? I <laughs> I don't know that he was advocating for anything as much as just saying this is why this is happening, which is just wrong. Like <laughs> No, the guys are I have hit by pitches really gone away? Has Aaron Loop uh you know, is he the great outlier among baseball players? I don't think so. I've seen a lot of guys hit by a lot of pitches. Um also, the concept of backing people off the plate, uh, I don't think really, like, I don't think it's gone away. I don't think you need to be as aggressive inside. Like you said, when you're throwing 96 miles an hour and the ball's running inside, that'll do. You don't actually have to throw and hit the guy. Yeah, like, there was a pitch that Baraki threw to Jay Bruce. There was 98 diving in on his hands. How exactly are you supposed to hit that if your first instinct is to turn your back? Like, it's, <laughs> it's not happening. Well, if you looked at Buck's batting average over the course of his career, you can tell exactly the result you get when your first instinct is to turn your back. <laughs> yeah. Buck wasn't a, a good hitter. I know he, no, he lasted was, a long not. time, but that, that's the long and short of it. Yeah, all, all of his advice is is, you know, should be absolutely taken with the pound of salt that is required when you realize just how fringy he was as an offensive player um what is the do-over there josh does it involve a pitching machine and a 99 mile an hour fastball yeah the do-over is that he just has to stand in there <laughs> against the same armed pitcher throwing that hard and see how he if he can even come close to timing it for a swing without starting his hands early. That's what that's the do-over <laughs> penalty. 70-year-old Buck Martinez. Well, we never said our do-overs were easy, but but you know, we we're tough but fair. That's what I think. Punishment the point fits is the crime. Yeah, exactly. The crime of telling people that they should turn away from the pitch always. Um I also don't think that that was necessarily a rule either. There were there were hand injuries and people hit in the head and stuff. 
way back in the day. I don't know where he got the idea that somehow there was this better methodology that stopped people from getting hurt. Oh, man. Um, there was also an interesting tweet from Rob Arthur on Twitter. He said, uh, you know, the home run, the uh, first tweet was that the home run fly ball percentage started to creep up as April warms up. Higher than 2019 through the same date. Decent chance we'll see another record-breaking home run season. My, aren't we all excited about that? Um, and then he went on to say it, it boggles his mind that the MLB did not apparently do any field testing to see whether the new ball was less home run prone. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a step you probably shouldn't have glossed over. It's. Uh, I tweeted this in response to that. Like, it's both mind-boggling and totally expected. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such an MLB thing to do, especially when there's about fifteen different um, independent sort of people out there. From you know, like uh, Alan Nathan is one of them, but but there's a number of people with more resources who are actively trying on their own time and with their own dime to figure out what is going on with the baseball and. And MLB doesn't seem interested in any of that research at all. They seem to, like, actively fight against it. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> I really don't get it. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, home runs, folks. Watch them fly. I mean, this is good news for Kevin Biggio if he, if he, he can actually start catching up to some high-velocity fastballs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there we go. Uh, in terms of weird things from around the league. I'm sure there's more, but we'll we'll stop there for this week. Unless, of course, you had a weird thing from around the league as your final thought. No, it's more close to home. All right. So the early reviews are in for the simulcast. It wasn't great when Shulman and Buck were doing it. It's terrible when it's Buck and Tabler for the radio <laughs> listener. And I'm not. No, this is something that you're not going to hear me say too often. I do not blame Buck Martinez for this. <laughs> so, no. yeah, go ahead. Finish your thought. Buck Martinez was never trained as a play-by-play guy at all. <laughs> and then he was thrown into being the play-by-play guy for the Jays for some reason to begin with seven years ago. And he's mediocre at best at that. To ask him to then do radio play-by-play, which is an entirely different style of calling a game. It's just not a reasonable thing to ask of someone. I mean, during this game, there were multiple times where if you were listening on the radio, you would have no idea what the count was or how many pitches had even been thrown in the at-bat. And that's just because Buck is not calling a game that way because he doesn't know how. So it's like it's all on Rodgers for putting him in this position. I I totally agree. I find it when... When Buck repeats things on television that Shulman has already said or described, the tendency is for Buck to add a couple of details to something that Shulman pretty much adeptly described, considering it was on TV and you could see it yourself. But it actually helps the radio broadcast because Buck will fill in a couple of details that you might not have quite gotten out of Shulman's initial play-by-play. So it kind of balances, and as far as the count and all of the pertinent information, Shulman is is clearly aware that he's got a radio audience. He, he misses some pitches because he's on TV, but he will reference the count and the situation repeatedly, knowing. You can tell it's in the back of his mind. It's great. Yeah, so like, 
the difference, the biggest difference is that he will cut into what he's saying to describe what's going on occasionally, whereas Buck will never do that. He will not describe the count or the situation until he is done talking or Tabler is done talking. And that's because that's how they call it on TV. So, yeah, like Rogers screwed this up. And, and I think the funniest thing is, is all of that is a very effective way for Showman to call a game. Like you said, interrupting himself. And it is it's it's the thing that is most memed and riffed on when when people are making fun of baseball announcers where they tell like a whole heartfelt story or some crazy thing. And then and then they just and that'll be a four all four all ball game. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the whole thing. But the, <laughs> with the with uh, Cassiano's home run in the middle of an apology, that was that that meme just keeps going around. But but that, that is that, the radio that predates... style calling a game. But but years ago, that predates all of that because um, there was an entire list of Vince at the time of Vince Scully's retirement. There was an entire list of supposed things Scully had said, and they would be like a story that from someone's childhood. It would go off on this wild tangent, and it would cut in with the count and the score as things were going on. Um, so yeah, uh, it's just the fact that it actually happened was even wilder. I have a different final thought, completely different. It is a pet peeve of mine, and I, I would bet that you um, you might share it. When I And I will start first by describing YouTube. When I go on YouTube and I watch a short video on YouTube, sometimes there is a five-second ad for my 30-second video, and I am mildly annoyed <laughs> by my, <laughs> my inability to skip this 30-second ad. Uh, however, MLB.com, um, with their highlights on the MLB.tv app or the Game Day app, they have they have perfected uh, the following. Uh, I would like to watch an 8 to 10 second clip. I must first watch a 14 second unskippable ad before my clip. And if I make the mistake of of like hitting a button on my phone... And then opening the app back up, I have to start at the beginning of the ad again. And if you have an ad blocker on on a, on a browser, it just won't play. <laughs> no one is buying your Chevrolet, whatever the hell it is, <laughs> just because you put an ad in front of my six second home run clip. Yeah, it's a, it's not a good ad to video ratio. I think we've even talked about it on the podcast before because it's pretty bad. It's back. It's, it's it's still not changed. They can't figure out how to do a five second. YouTube pretty much knows you're doing five second ads, even if they're giving you a three minute ad. They know the first five seconds is all they have to get you. But anyway, uh, maybe the world will be a better place someday and I won't have to be annoyed by this. Oh, well, uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and this has been episode 199, yes, 199 of the Artificial Turf Wars, and we'll talk at you next week. <laughs>